is your 26th episode of Kimchi Slaps by Your Funny on Me. Did you even hear that? Let me do it again. Oh, wow, that hurt. <laughs> Where I tell you what slaps for the week. I know I've been a little away. I'm so sorry. As you know what? I don't want to say sorry. I I want to speak positive to the universe. I legit was super busy. I was I I I sorry. That's okay. I did it again. I said sorry again. No more sorries. I was busy living life um to the fullest. I went to New York, which I it was a whirlwind trip, super last minute put together because a company reached out to me and wanted to, me to be on their panel and the filming. I, I don't understand how um, these things happen so last minute. Like anything I do, for example, okay, this is very common in like acting, not like big time Hollywood stuff, but like little commercial work or whatever it always gets put together super last minute and you're literally waiting for all your info like the night before it's just madness anyway so this was the same I got told like the week of or like literally a few days before the week can you fly out to New York and luckily <laughs> I'm someone that doesn't have like a real job I, you know, I make TikTok money and pennies and do comedy shows. So I'm very flexible. But I don't understand how other people with like 95 jobs could do this. Anyway, so yeah, I dropped everything, went out to New York. And then I got back and I had Sam Hyun visiting me from Boston. And, you know, he is incredible. Like, he definitely has a real job. <laughs> But he was out here. Anyways, I was, and he stayed in my place and it was just super busy. Like, I feel like I'm finally catching my breath. So that is why I've been a little MIA in this whole podcast thing. And uh, I, I really want to be on top of it. But life, life, I was busy living life. So I think that's a good excuse, right? I'm sorry. I, ah! I did it again. I did it again. I don't want to apologize. You know what? Let's get right into the reading. Um, I am very, very excited to get... I want to know what happens in this book, um, The Little Prince. It's very much... I feel like it is... I understand it's a children's book, but it really speaks to adults. And I don't know how, as a child... Like, what age would you be able to grasp this book fully? We'll see. I, I want to I see. Yeah, like, I can't imagine my kids, ages 7 and 10, understanding, like, what's actually happening in this book. But let me, let me get into it. Okay? Chapter 10. He found himself in the neighborhood of the asteroids 325, 326, 327, 328, 329, and 330. He began, therefore, by visiting them in order to add to his knowledge. The first of them was inhabited by a king clad in royal purple. Purple, my hair. Okay, ermine. He was seated upon a throne, which was at the same time both simple and majestic. Ah, here is a subject, the king exclaimed. 
when he saw the little prince coming. And the little prince asked himself, how could he recognize me when he had never even seen me before? He did not know how the world is simplified for kings. To them, all men are subjects. Approach so that I may see you better, the king said, who felt consumingly proud of being at last a king over somebody. The little prince looked everywhere to find a place to sit down, but the entire planet was crammed and obstructed by the king's magnificent ermine robe. So he remained standing upright, and since he was tired, he yawned. It is contrary to the etiquette to yawn in the presence of a king, the monarch said to him. I forbid you to do so. I can't help it, your majesty. I can't stop myself. The little prince replied, thoroughly embarrassed. I have come on a long journey and I have had no sleep. Ah, then, the king said, I order you to yawn. It is years since I have seen anyone yawning. Yawns to me are objects of curiosity. Come now, yawn again. It is an order. That frightens me. I cannot anymore, murmured the little prince, now completely abashed. Hmm, hmm, replied the king. Then I, I order you sometimes to yawn and sometimes to... He sputtered a little and seemed vexed. For what the king fundamentally insisted upon was that his authority should be respected. He tolerated no disobedience. He was an absolute monarch. But because he was a very good man, he made his orders reasonable. If I ordered a general, he would say, by way of example to change himself into a seabird. And if the general did not obey me, that would not be the fault of the general. It would be my fault. May I sit down? Came now a timid from inquiry from the little prince. I ordered you to do so, the king said, and majestically gathered in a fold of his ermine mantle. Nevertheless, the little prince was wondering. The planet was tiny. Over what could this king really rule? Sire, he said to him, I beg that you will excuse my asking you a question. I order you to ask me a question, the king hastened to assure him. Sire, over what do you rule? Over everything, the king said, with magnificent simplicity. Over everything? The king made a gesture, which took in his planet, the other planets, and all the stars. Over all that, the little prince asked. Over all that, the king answered. For his rule was not only absolute, it was also universal. And the stars obey you? Certainly they do, the king said. They obey instantly. I do not, I do not permit insurable, oh my God, why can't I say insubordination? There we go, got it. Such power was a thing for the little prince to marvel at. If he had been a master of such complete authority, he would have been able to watch the sunset, not 44 times in one day, but 72, or even 100, or even 200 times without ever having to move his chair. And because he felt a bit sad as he remembered his little planet which he had forsaken, he plucked up his courage to ask the king a favor. I should like to see a sunset. Do me that kindness. Order the sun to set. If I ordered a general to fly from one flower to another like a butterfly, or to write a tragic drama, or to change himself into a seabird, and if the general did not carry out the order that he had received, which one of us would be in the wrong? The king demanded. The general or myself? 
You, said the prince firmly. Exactly. One must require from each one the duty which one can perform, the king went on. Accepted authority rests, first of all, on reason. If you ordered your people to go and throw themselves into the sea, they would rise up in revolution. I have the right to require obedience because my orders are reasonable. Then my sunset, the little prince reminded him, for he never forgot a question once he had asked it. You shall have your sunset, I shall command it, but according to my science of government, I shall wait until conditions are favorable. When will that be, inquired the little prince. <laughs> replied the king, and before saying anything else, he consulted a bulky almanac. <laughs> that will be about, that will be this evening, about 20 minutes to eight, and you will see how well I obeyed. The little prince yawned. He was regretting his lost sunset. And then too, he was already beginning to be a little bored. I have nothing more to do here, he said to the king, so I shall set out on my way again. Do not go, said the king, who was very proud of having a subject. Do not go. I will make you a minister. Minister of what? Minister of, of justice. But there is nobody here to judge. We do not know that, the king said to him. I have not made yet made a complete tour of my kingdom. I am very old. There is no room here for a carriage. And if it tires me to walk, and it tires me to walk, not if, it. Oh, but I have looked already, said the little prince, turning around to give one more glance to the other side of the planet. On that side, as on this, there is nobody at all. Then you shall judge yourself, the king answered. This is the most difficult thing of all. It is much more difficult to judge oneself than to judge others. If you succeed in judging yourself rightly, then you are indeed a man of true wisdom. Yes, said the little prince, but I can judge myself anywhere. I do not need to live on this planet. Hum, hum, said the king. I have good reason to believe that somewhere on my planet there is an old rat. I hear him at night. You can judge this old rat. From time to time, you will condemn him to death. Thus, his life will depend on your justice. But you will pardon him on each occasion, for he must be treated thriftily. He's the only one we have. I do not like to condemn anyone to death, replied, replied the little prince. And now, I think I will go on my way. No, said the king. But the little prince, having now completed his preparation for departure, had no wish to grieve his, the old monarch. If your majesty wishes to be promptly obeyed, he said, he should be able to give me a reasonable order. He should be able, for example, to order me to be gone by the end of one minute. It seems to me that the conditions are favorable. As the king made no answer, the little prince hesitated a moment. Then with a sigh, he took his leave. I make you my ambassador, the king called out hastily. He had a magnificent air of authority. The grown-ups are very strange, the little prince said to himself, as he continued on his journey. Chapter 11. The second planet was inhabited by a conceited man. Ah, ah, I am about to receive a visit from an admirer, he claimed from afar, when he first saw little prince coming. For to the conceited man, all other men are admirers. Good morning, said the little prince. That is a queer hat you are wearing. 
It is a hat for salutes, the conceited man replied. It is to raise and salute when people acclaim me. Sadly, nobody at all ever passes this way. Yes, said the little prince, who did not understand what the conceited man was talking about. Clap your hands, one against the other, the conceited man now directed him. The little prince clapped his hands. The conceited man raised his hat in a modest salute. This is more entertaining than the visit to the king, the little prince said to, him, said to himself, and he began again to clap his hands, one against the other. The conceited man again raised his hat in a salute. After five minutes of this exercise, the little prince grew tired of the game's monotony. And what should one do to make the hat come down, he asked. But the conceited man did not hear him. Conceited people never hear anything but praise. Do you really admire me very much, he demanded of the little prince. What does that mean, admire? To admire means that you regard me as the handsomest, the best dressed, the richest, and the most intelligent man on this planet. But you are the only man on your planet. Do me this kindness. Admire me just the same. I admire you, said the little prince, shrugging his shoulders slightly. But what is there in that to interest you so much? And the little prince went away. The grown-ups are certainly very odd, he said to himself, as he continued on his journey. What's going on, Sawyer? Uh, can I watch one more? One more what? Uh, watch one more. Okay, that's the last one, okay? And then you're going to read after that. Okay. How long must be that thing? A full chapter. Okay, got a full. Sorry for the interruption. That is my seven-year-old soybean. Y'all know him. I apologize. Let us get back to reading. Chapter 12. The next planet was inhabited by a tippler. This was a very short visit, but it plunged the little prince into deep dejection. What are you doing there? He said to the tippler, whom he found settled down in silence before a collection of empty bottles and also a collection of full bottles. I am drinking, replied the tippler with a lugubrious <laughs> air. Why are you drinking? So that I might forget, replied the tippler. Forget what? inquired the little prince, who already was sorry for him. Forget that I am ashamed, the tippler confessed, hanging his head. Ashamed of what? insisted the little prince, who wanted to help him. Ashamed of drinking, the tippler brought his speech to an end and shut himself up in an impregnable silence. And the little prince went away, puzzled. The grown-ups are certainly very, very odd, he said to himself, as he continued, on his journey. Chapter 13. The fourth planet belonged to a businessman. This man was so much occupied that he did not even raise his head at the little prince's arrival. Good morning, the little prince said to him. Your cigarette has gone out. Three and two make five. Five and seven make twelve. Twelve and three makes fifteen. Good morning. Fifteen and seven makes twenty-two. Twenty-two and six makes twenty-eight. I haven't time to light it again. Twenty-six and five make thirty-one. <laughs> then that makes five hundred and one million six hundred twenty-two thousand seven hundred thirty-one. Five hundred million what? asked the little prince. Ah, are you still there? Five hundred and one million. I, I, I can't stop. I 
there's so much to do. I am concerned with matters of consequence. I don't amuse myself with balderdash. Two and five make seven, five hundred and one million what? Repeated the little prince, who never in his life had let go of a question once he had asked it. The businessman raised his head. During the 54 years that I have inhabited this planet, I have been disturbed only three times. The first time was 22 years ago when some giddy goose fell from goodness nowhere. Knows where. He made the most frightful noise that resounded all over the place and I made four mistakes in my edition. The second time, 11 years ago, I was disturbed by an attack of rheumatism. I don't get enough exercise. I have no time for loafing. The third time, well, this is it. I was saying then, 501 million. Millions of what? The businessman suddenly realized there was no hope of being left in peace until he answered this question. Millions of those little objects, he said, which one sometimes sees in the sky. Flies? Oh, no. Little glittering objects. Bees? Oh, no. Little golden objects that set lazy men to idle dreaming. As for me, I am concerned with matters of consequence. There is no time for idle dreaming in my life. Ah, you mean the stars? Yes, that's it, the stars. And what do you do with 500 millions of stars? 501,622,000 and even 731. I am concerned with matters of consequence and I am accurate. And what do you do with these stars? What do I do with them? Yes. Nothing. I own them. You own the stars? Yes. But I have already seen a king who kings do not own. They reign over. It is a very different matter. And what good does it do to you to own the stars? It does me the good of making you rich. And what good does it do to you to be rich? It makes it possible for me to buy more stars if any are discovered. This man, the little prince said to himself, wheezes a little like my poor tippler. Nevertheless, he still had some more questions. How is it possible for one to own the stars? To whom do they belong? The businessman retorted peevishly. Sorry, that was a text. Uh-oh. What is going on? I, okay, I'm gonna, sorry, I... I saw the text, but I'm going to ignore it because I don't know where it's coming from. I I'm seeing it on my computer screen. Anyways, I'm really absorbed into this reading, so... Okay, hold on. Ugh, sorry. Let me look. Who is... Oh. You know what? I can get back to this person. It is actually kind of sad, but... Um... Uh, yeah, I'll, no, it's, it's, it's a friend going through personal matter, and I don't, I, it's not my place to talk about that on here, but, um, but let me continue on, because I am very engrossed in the story. Um, how is it possible for one to own the stars? To whom do they belong? The businessman retorted peevishly. I don't know, to nobody. Then they belong to me, because I was the first person to think of it. Is that all that is necessary? Certainly. When you find a diamond that belongs to nobody, it is yours. 
When you discover an island that belongs to nobody, it is yours. When you get an idea before anyone else, you take out a patent on it. It's yours. So with me, I own the stars because nobody else before me ever thought of owning them. Yes, that is true, the little prince said. And what do you do with them? I administer them, the businessman replied. I count them and recount them. It is difficult, but I am a man who's naturally interested in matters of consequence. Okay, pause. Um, <laughs> this whole patent talk, like the person I got that popped up in my head was uh, Bethany Frankel because, you know, she apparently trademarks everything. <laughs> just like trade. I just find it really funny that rich people, that's like what they do, that they trademark just words and sayings because they want to profit and it's just it's they they have monies they have money <laughs> i said monies they have money to throw away just to have i mean it's not throw away right because they could make money on it but they're so obsessed with make the potential of ownership this is what this is <laughs> they're businessmen <laughs> and it's funny because I was talking to Sam over the weekend, and he was telling me how, oh, you started white. And he's like, but you know, now everybody's doing it. And I was like, well, nobody does it quite like me. White. Like, with, in my opinion, as much comfort and as with ease. Um, I mean, other people can do it. Like, it's, I don't care, right? Because I know the people that know me when I started this, which was like literally almost as far back as I started on the app. Um, but it's not like I have the money to patent it. And even if I did, well, I don't know. I guess I, I will never know that I would, I would do that just because what is that even, you know, like, <laughs> like anybody can actually say it, but this idea that you own it just because you want, I mean, I, I have, I'm not trying to like profit, you know, off, and people tell me all the time now they say the way I say it, it's just, it, my brain would never go to be like, I need to patent this, you know, and I guess that's just me being poor. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, uh, yeah, back to the reading. Um, okay. I administer them, the business replied. I count them and recount them. It is difficult, but I am a man who is naturally interested in matters of consequence. You know, it's like Scrooge, who always counts his money, or Bethany Frankel. There you go. The little prince was still not satisfied. If I owned a silk scarf, he said, I could put it around my neck and take it away with me. If I owned a flower, I could pluck that flower and take it away with me. But you cannot pluck the stars from heaven. No, but I can put them in the bank. Whatever does that mean? That means that I write the number of my stars on a little paper. And then I put this paper in a drawer and lock it with a key. And that is all? That is enough, the businessman said. It is entertaining, the little prince thought. It is rather poetic, but it is of no great consequence. On matters of consequence, the little prince had ideas very different from those of grown-ups. I myself own a flower, he continued his conversation with the businessman, which I water every day. I own three volcanoes, which I clean out every week, for I also clean out the one that is extinct. One never knows. It is of some use to my volcanoes, and it is of some use to my flower that I own them, but you are of no use to the stars. 
The businessman opened his mouth, but he found nothing to say in answer, and the little prince went away. The grown-ups are certainly altogether extraordinary, he said simply, talking to himself as he continued on his journey. Chapter 14 the fifth planet was very strange. It was the smallest of all. There was just enough room on it for a street lamp and a lamp lighter. The little prince was not able to reach any explanation of the use of street lamp and lamp lighters. Some were in the heaven on a planet which had no people and not one house. But he said to himself, nevertheless, it may well be that this man is absurd. But he is not so absurd as the king, the conceited man, the businessman, and the tippler. For at least his work has some meaning. When he lights his street lamp, it is as if he brought one more star to life or one more flower. When he puts out his lamp, he sends the flower or the star to sleep. That is a beautiful occupation, and since it is beautiful, it is truly useful. When he arrived on the planet, he respect respectfully saluted the lamp lighter. Good morning. Why have you just put out your lamp? Those are the orders, replied the lamp lighter. Good morning. What are the orders? The orders are that I put out my lamp. Good evening. And he lighted his lamp again. But why have you just lighted it again? Those are the orders, replied the lamp lighter. I do not understand, said the little prince. There's nothing to understand, said the lamp lighter. Orders are orders. Good morning. And he put out the lamp. Then he mopped his forehead with a handkerchief decorated with red squares. I follow a terrible profession. In the old days, it was reasonable. I put the lamp out in the morning, and in the evening, I lighted it again. I had the rest of the day for relaxation and the rest of the night for sleep. And the orders have changed since that time? The orders have not been changed, said the lamplighter. That is the tragedy. From year to year, the planet has turned more rapidly, and the orders have not changed. Then what? asked the little prince. Then the planet now makes a complete turn every minute, and I no longer have a single second for repose. Once every minute, I have to light my lamp and put it out. That is very funny. A day lasts only one minute here where you live. It is not funny at all, said the lamplighter. While we've been talking together, a month has gone by. A month? Yes, a month. 30 minutes, 30 days. Good evening. And he lighted his lamp again. As the little prince watched him, he felt that he loved this lamplighter who was so faithful to his orders. He remembered the sunsets which he himself had gone to seek in other days merely by pulling up his chair and he wanted to help his friend. You know, he said, I can tell you a way you can rest whenever you want to. I always want to rest, said the lamplighter. For it is possible for a man to be faithful and lazy at the same time. The little prince went on with his explanation. Your planet is so small that three strides will take you all the way around it. To be always in the sunshine, you need only walk along rather slowly. When you want to rest, you will walk, and the day will last long as you like. This doesn't do me much good, said the lamplighter. The one thing I love in life is to sleep. Oh my God, this lamplighter sounds like me. <laughs> Am I the lamplighter? Then you're unlucky, said the little prince. Oh, don't say that. I am unlucky, said the lamplighter. Good morning. And he put out his lamp. That man, said the little prince to himself, as he continued further on his journey, would be scorned by all others, by the king, by the conceited man, by the tippler, by the businessman. Nevertheless, he's the only one of them all who does not seem to me ridiculous. Perhaps that is because he's thinking of something else besides himself. Oh, my God.
I feel like I'm the lamplighter. Jesus. I hope something better comes along than this. <laughs> he breathed a sigh of regret and said to himself again, The man is the only one of them all who I, whom I could have ever made my friend. Oh, well, that's endearing. But his planet is indeed too small. There is no room on it for two people. What the little prince did not dare to confess was that he was sorry, most of all, to leave this planet because it was blessed every day with 1,434 sunsets. Aww. Chapter 15. The sixth planet was ten times larger than the last one. It was inhabited by an old gentleman who wrote voluminous books. Oh, look, here is an explorer, he exclaimed to himself when he saw the little prince coming. The little prince sat down on the table and panted a little. He had traveled so much. Where do you come from? The old gentleman said to him. What is that big book? said the little prince. What are you doing? I am a geograph geographer. <laughs> geographer, said the old gentleman. What is a geographer? asked the little prince. It is a scholar who knows the location of all the seas, rivers, towns, mountains, and deserts. That is very interesting, said the little prince. Here at last is a man who has a real profession. Oh my God. <laughs> this feels like something I say when I'm talking to people. Um, and I'm like, I regard myself as like, you know, this nobody that <laughs> makes TikToks all day long. <laughs> and then when I like feel like somebody has a real job, I'm always like, oh, well, this man does real work. Anyway, sorry, little self-reflection self-deprecating humor, if we can call it that. Anyways, okay. And he cast a look around him at the planet of the geo geographer. It was the most magnificent and stately planet that he had ever seen. Your planet is very beautiful, he said. Has it any oceans? I couldn't tell you, said the geographer. Ah, oh, the little prince was disappointed. Has it any mountains? I couldn't tell you, said the geographer. And towns and rivers and deserts? I couldn't tell you that either. But you're a ge geographer. Exactly, the, ge the geographer said. But I am not an explorer. I haven't a single explorer on my planet. It is not the geographer who goes out to count the towns, the rivers, the mountains, the seas, the oceans, and the deserts. The geog geographer, sorry, I don't know why I'm having like a hard time with the word, is much too important to go loafing about. He does not leave his desk, but he receives the explorer in his study, asks them questions, and he notes down what they recall of their travels. And if the recollection of anyone among them seems interesting to him, the geographer orders an inquiry into that explorer's moral character. Why is that? Because an explorer who told lies would bring disaster on the books of the geographer. So would an explorer who drank too much. Why is that? The little prince asked. Because intoxicated men see double. Then the geographer, who would note down two mountains in a place where there was only one. I know someone, the little prince said, who would make a bad explorer. That is possible. Then when the moral character of the explorer is shown to be good, an inquiry is ordered into his discovery. One goes to see it? No, that would be too complicated. But one requires the explorer to furnish proofs. For example, the discovery is of a large mountain. One requires that large stones be brought back from it. That geographer, 
The geographer was suddenly stirred into excitement. But you, you come from far away. You are an explorer. You shall describe your planet to me. And having opened his big register, the geographer sharpened his pencil. The recital of explorers are put down first in pencil. One waits until the explorer has furnished proofs before putting them down in ink. Well, the, ge the geographer said expectantly. Oh, well, where I live, the little prince said, it is not very interesting. This also small. I have three volcanoes. Two volcanoes are active and the other is extinct. But one never knows. One never knows, the geographer said. I also have a flower. We do not record flowers. Why is that? The flower is the most beautiful thing on my planet, the little prince said. We do not record them, geographer said, because they are ephemeral. What does that mean, ephemeral? Geography, said the geographer, are the books which of all books are most concerned with matters of consequence. They never become old-fashioned. It is very rarely that a mountain changes its position and that an ocean empties itself of its water. We write of eternal things. But extinct volcanoes may come to life again, the little prince interrupted. What does that mean, ephemeral? Whether volcanoes are extinct or live, it comes to the same thing for us, the geographer said. What matters to us is the mountain. It does not change. But what does that mean, ephemeral? repeated the little prince, who never in his life had let go of a question once he asked it. It means which is in danger of speedy disappearance. Is my flower in that kind of danger? Certainly it is. My flower is ephemeral, the little prince said to himself, and she has only four thorns to defend herself against the wind, and I have left her on my planet all along. That was his first moment of regret, but he took courage once more. What place was it, would you advise me to visit now, he asked. The planet Earth, replied the geographer. It has a good reputation. And the little prince went away, thinking of his flower. Wow. Um, you know what? I don't want to rush this book. Um, it's, see, again, I, I keep coming back to this point that this book is deep. I am a lot of those characters, I feel. Um, the tippler, clearly, because I love to drink. It's not to forget, though. I actually, well, maybe I should be honest with myself. Aha. I like to drink because... I like how it makes me feel. <laughs> but I guess, oh, I don't, wow. Um, where did I just go? I felt like I just, so, you know, the tippler in this book is talking about drinking to forget. And I don't feel like I do that, but maybe I do. I drink because I like to feel light, carefree, fun. And I think 
<laughs> I didn't expect to go here. I have a hard time being light, carefree. On my own, I feel heavy. Like, but it's, it's a heaviness that, you know, I'm so used to, right? That, um, I, I feel like it's so built in me. <laughs> I can't believe I'm... So maybe I do. Maybe I do drink to forget or to relieve this heaviness, which comes from, of course, my childhood traumas. It feels built in me. And I, I am so used to that state of being. It's hard to feel light, carefree, fun. I'm the tippler. I'm also uh, the light, the lamplighter, because I just, you know, I think a lot of us as moms just, we have, we have to get things done. And, oh, okay, yeah, this book. <laughs> it's like, <different. sighs> um, yeah, so I don't, I don't want to rush through reading this. Man, this, this is a book for adults <laughs> to reflect. And, um, here I am, just, I, I, I'm going to have to process all of this without rushing through it, so, um, you know, and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, so... Hi, Gavin. I'm busy. Right? Okay. Well, and... Come here. I love you. Yeah, Mom? Yes, my sweetheart? Um, um how are we going to make the Mennonite statue? Well, I ordered the cake. Okay, so Gavin's going to be a Mennonite from what game? Kirby. Kirby. That so that's the game. Kirby is the game. Okay. Yep. Okay, so we I've got the cape. Mm -hmm. And what else do you need to be a meta knight? The mask. What's the mask? The eyes? No, the mask. There's a mask? Yeah. What's the mask? The mask. You look at how to you have to look at the picture of it. Okay. And then you need the shoes. Okay, so mom duty calls. We need to figure out. Gavin has decided he wants to be Meta Knight, not Doctor Strange. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> we will do this again really soon. Thank you all for those of you that listen to my podcast. You know, I have a very, very small audience. And it, you're dear and near my heart um, because I feel like, okay, hello. I'm still talking. Okay. Um, these readings really are a treasure time, I feel like. If you are listening, you're going on this journey with me of what this literature provides. Okay, Gavin. 
So anyways, um, thank you so much. And we will do this again until next time. So much love. Bye-bye.